This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Ease of Doing Business, or EDB, is a system that ranks the regulatory environment in countries around the world. A new paper looks at how the World Bank has successfully marshaled the EDB index to amass considerable influence over business regulations worldwide. The financial institution has succeeded in doing this, even though it doesn't have an explicit mandate over regulatory policy. The research is titled The Power of Ranking the Ease of Doing Business Indicator and Global Regulatory Behavior. Behavior. It was done by Beth Simmons, who is a professor of law and political science here at the Wharton School, and also by Judith Kelly, who is a dean of the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Beth, nice to meet you. Thank you nice for coming in. Nice to meet in. you, Dan. Thank, Thank you. you. Judith, great to have you with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I guess let's start with, uh, with Beth, if you can. The idea for doing this research in the first place came from where? Well, the idea for doing this research came from looking at the world around us and noticing the ubiquity of phenomena that are rated and ranked all around the world. We all know we're very familiar with consumer products being rated. We're familiar with hospitals being rated, schools being rated. And what really started to pique our interest, though, was the fact that ratings and rankings have clearly made their way into public governance issues, issues of the policies that states put in place that affect the people's lives in a very broad scale. You did so then, if it is having an influence, how much of an influence do you think it's having? Well, I think it varies greatly depending on the domain that these rankings are in. I think the World Bank has been very successful in getting the attention of governments in the area of regulatory behavior. And while there are certainly governments that don't pay attention to it, there are many governments that have geared their policies towards uh, moving up in the ranking specifically. And so I do think it's been impactful for the bank. And, and probably uh, you did gaining some recognition that maybe they would not have had normally without having this kind of data coming forward? That's right. I do think that it provides a platform for, you know, a country like Singapore that ranks really well to, you know, thrust itself to the, to the forefront of the attention. Um, other countries are seeing that and then they see, okay, how do we, how do we compete? How do we, how do we play that game? How do we get up top? I guess, Beth, the, the relationship between the rankings and the, and the people that are doing them with the recipients of this information and then, again, how this data is being implemented, this is an important component moving forward right now. It's a very important component. And in fact, one thing that really got us interested in thinking about ratings and rankings in governance issues is the fact that they literally are proliferating in many, many different areas across the world. So we did an inventory, essentially, of trying to understand, like, broadly speaking, the spread of the growth of global performance indicators. And we were able to put together a database that just looks like it's exploding geometrically. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are specifically uh, ratings and rankings that uh, are targeted at states to try to influence their policies. The ease of doing business indicators is one of the best known, uh, but I should say that economic indicators is the real growth area here. Specifically where? Specifically with, with, the, with the economic indicators, how much of an influence are, are they having right now? Well, it's hard to ex exactly say how much of an influence they're having. It depends on how you want to measure this. But we can, um, we can enumerate several ways in which 
um, we can see their impact pretty clearly. First of all, it's really important to notice that the ease of doing business indicators have a tremendous market share, first of all. Sure, yeah. So they have a big impact just on the information that people are actually looking at when they think of um, economic indicators for countries. Um, and the way that we can see this kind of influence, first of all, is that states and their leaders clearly make statements that indicate that they intend to improve in the rankings. And sure. these, get, yeah. these get publicized around in the media, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it starts a bit of a frenzy of competition uh, between leaders. And the second way that we kind of noticed was a little bit more of a bureaucratic kind of development, that states literally have put into place new bureaucratic structures that respond specifically and directly <laughs> to the reforms uh, and the reform recommendations uh, that the World Bank is asking for. So they, so b countries have really structured their bureaucracies to respond to the ratings. But it also, it has to have an impact within some of these countries uh, on the political process as well, I would think. Well, we've, we, in, a, in the paper that we just published together, we have a case study specifically on India, which we just pulled out as an example, being, of course, a rather large economy, of a prime minister who has concertedly used this ranking to uh, promote uh, a set of reforms domestically. So using it as a political tool, uh, even to the point where he actually created some a subnational indicators that kind of mirrored this international ranking strategy. So I think that leaders sometimes can use these ratings and rankings to drive some of their own policy priorities under the cover of a strategy to perform well internationally or sort of the, the, the sense that there's an external pressure to do these things. Do you know, you did from the work that you did, if if these global indicators, these GPIs, are, are really one of the final determining factors in potentially a policy change, or are they part of, uh, of a larger process that, that these countries are undertaking? Well, we've talked with folks inside the bank uh, who are very passionate about uh, what they do and believe that they are, are promoting a set of good policies. And we find that they report that they actually work very closely with policymakers in these countries. So what happens behind the scenes is really interesting, which is that, uh, that people within these bureaucracies that Beth just referred to establish direct links to the agencies that are rating and ranking, in this, yeah. in this case the bank, and have backs and forth about advice about how laws and regulations could be drafted differently, both so that, yes, they'll move up the rankings, but also in a belief that this is a, you know, it's a good thing. Right. And so on the ground, we won't necessarily see, you know, a legislator going, we're now passing this particular thing because of the ranking. I think it's much more be what happens behind the scenes that what this paper helps to uncover, but that's what's also really the powerfulness of it. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios in Philadelphia, joined in studio by Beth Simmons, who is a professor of law and political science here at the Wharton School, and also on the phone by Judith Kelly, who is with Duke University, dean of the Sanford School of Public Public policy at that school. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would think then, Beth, the possibility exists that 
with this data coming forward that it can be molded in a way at times to fit the narrative that may be the policy change that X candidate or X politician would like to have in their particular country. Well, that's that's very true. I mean, sometimes these ratings and rankings are literally used to achieve policy objectives that particular government officials have in mind. And that's one of the things we definitely noticed in the Indian case. Um, but another thing I, I think is really important to stress is literally what does it mean to be ranked, Yeah. right, and to be rated, to take every country from top to bottom, from the very best down to the very worst at something. Right. And that's really kind of a lot of the theory behind why this indicator works. It's not just that it's the World Bank, although it's important that it's the World sure. Bank, yeah. but it's that the World Bank is using information in a very particular way. And we had a sort of set of hypotheses about how um, ranking influences policymaking. One of the ways that we were thinking about this was that, uh, you know, one way is that uh, when publics see the way their country has been ranked, this can be used as ammunition or as data uh, from which to lobby or which to call for reforms. Like, we can right. do better. We're behind our major competitors on these important dimensions. And one thing we um, found was uh, in a survey that we launched, we found that publics really do respond competitively to comparisons. Yeah. So when we told yeah. um, a set of respondents that their government was not performing as well as their major competitor. Yeah. We were using China and India yeah. in this uh, test. Uh, they were much more likely to say it's crucial to respond to improving our rankings and it's crucial to improve our business climate. And so just varying that piece of information about how your competitor is doing itself can have a it, pretty strong effect. It's that aspect of rivalry. Oh, yes. And, and it plays out, obviously, we see it on on fields where we play sports, but obviously in this these areas as well. It's funny you should mention the sports analogy because the World Bank is very aware of that. Uh, and some of the older reports when they were implementing the uh, ease of doing business indicators as a ranking exercise is they explicitly drew out the sports analogy and said, you know, once you start keeping score, everybody wants to win. <laughs> That's exactly right. We're joined here in studio by Beth Simmons of the uh, Wharton School on the phone with uh, Yudi Kelly of Duke University. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account at DanLoney21. Yudi, I would think going back to something Beth was talking about a second ago, when you talk about some of these rankings and when you're talking about a ranking that may be the top 50 countries or the top 100 countries, right. just the fact that a country finds itself now in a ranking like that and no longer outside of that top 50, top 100, that becomes an important component, I would think. That's right. And, and many of these rating and ranking systems that we have studied uh, outside of the uh, the uh, World Bank's uh, ranking system, use these categories very explicitly so that countries will feel labeled that they belong in a certain grouping. So, you know, if you think about uh, even the, uh, the, um, the Freedom of the World report that would call countries free or unfree or partly free, and then you get these color-coded maps, and you're either green or yep. you're red or, you know, an alarming color purple. And, and, <laughs> and countries respond, you know, just like human beings 
to this notion of the stigma that might be attached to being not only in a certain group, but also lumped with certain other countries that it's uncomfortable to, to be lumped with. Yeah. But I want to I wanna pick up on this, though, because I think that, that when we talk about this whole ratings and rankings, uh, you know, the question also is, like, why now? Why are we seeing this explosion now? And, and the reason all this is happening is the intersection we've found, you know, between our inherent status and comparison things that we respond to with this with the new information environment that we live in today, where people don't have time to digest a lot of lengthy narratives and understand context. And so this simplified way of drawing out information helps people, uh, in quotation mark, helps them, um, you know, draw quick conclusions about things. And it, it comes to stand out in a way that, you know, it didn't 30 years ago when we weren't as inundated by information. Beth, your thoughts? Oh, yes, I think that's very true. And uh, it seems to me that uh, when people aren't willing to read long, lengthy reviews, uh, that they really follow these sorts of rules of thumb. And uh, to return to the theme of ranking, ranking is about the clearest rule of thumb you could land on. It is about the clearest way that you can say one is a one country is a better bet than the other, and it is certainly a good way to get them to compete over the area of reputation with each other. One thing that we found was kind of interesting also was that um, you know this is not just internal to the politics of a country and not internal to a country's relationship with the World Bank, but although it is both of those. But the ease of doing business indicators have an actual measurable impact on the attitudes of potential investors as right, well. Right. So one of the main uh, sort of linkages, if you want to think of it that way, between being ranked and changing your regulatory policy is the anticipation that a high ranking is going to make it appear as though you are a better site for investment. We actually sure, um, yeah. did find uh, some evidence to this effect, too. We were assisted here with the uh, Wharton Behavioral Lab. And they helped us to recruit a set of investors. Uh, and we put to them the question, sort of comparing two countries, which one would you be more likely to, um, to uh, uh, recommend an investment in? And the only piece of information that we altered, we gave macroeconomic background, we gave some political background, um, you know, we gave indications about growth, unemployment, other kinds of indicators for prospects of the future. And the one thing that we altered was information about ranking. And it turned out that that had a significant impact on the willingness of an investor to uh, um, recommend a particular location for investment. You mentioned how the numbers of these global performance indicators are increasing in, in recent years. Mm -hmm. How quickly are they increasing, and do you expect this trend to continue in the years to come because of the influence that obviously they are having around the world? Mm -hmm. well, Judith, go ahead. Well, it's it, exponentially is the right description, um, but I think it's important to distinguish the the uh, the fluff from the really meaty ones. And so there are a lot of things that are. You know, they don't get much attention at all. And uh, they are concerted efforts, but they just don't rise at all to to get any kind of attention. And and so if we're just looking at the ones that are 
really gaining traction, um, then I, I don't think the increase is, is as rapidly. And the other thing that we've seen, too, in our database when we were just um, following over time is that they're also dying. Right? So they, so organizations will undertake these for numerous reasons, right? So they may undertake them because they truly want to impact the policy on the ground. They also might undertake them because it's a, it's a branding tool for them or, you know, it's a way of, of getting attention to the issue. And as these uh, indicators proliferate in a certain issue area, is it just is it competition emerges and, and not everybody survives. And in the long run, we might also start to see that but there are so many different indicators and so many different issue areas that countries will simply feel saturated. And, and they may even start to play some of these off each other and say, you know, well, we're, we're doing horribly on this ranking on human rights, but right. yeah, but we're doing great on these other rankings. And so it is, <laughs> it is a fraught um, it is a fraught exercise in many ways, and and its future, I, I think, is uncertain. But I think there will always be a handful of really strong ones that will have um, that will have some uh, traction as long as they can maintain their credibility of their methodologies and be consistent and not start to you know, cave into political pressures and such things. Beth? Well, I just wanted to add, uh, Judith is exactly right, um, is that it's very, very possible here for these indicators to begin to clutter the information environment. I mean, the very thing that make them attractive in the first place is how they provide clarity. But once you have contending indicators, and of course, there's a lot of incentive to offer sure. a counter indicator, yeah. uh, you know, so if China doesn't like the way that the bank rates the ease of doing business, they've got incentives to develop their own counter indicator yeah. uh, and to offer that as an alternative way of judging uh, the quality of the regulatory environment in a country. And I just want to sort of mention one other thing, too, and Judith alluded to this, too, is that a lot of these global performance indicators are, are fluff in the sense that they come from very small organizations. Right. But another thing that's really interesting is from the ones that we were able to count, more than half of them come from organizations in the United States. Okay. And about 95% of them come from, of course, the very developed world. So we are in increasingly, I think, a setting in which um, organizations that are um, centered in the global north are increasingly raiding the rest of the world in some yeah. sense. And that creates, I think, uh, at least something that we ought to be aware of as we assess going forward the effects of these indicators um, in sort of a more normative vein. Well, it feels like in hearing what both you, Beth, and, and Judith have talked about here for the last little while, that there is in these reports coming forward an ele element of marketing that maybe not a lot of people take in, into effect. And, and just going off the World Bank report, the fact that, that you use the word freedom in the report, there's an element of that. Well, we want to be seen as the most free country, mm -hmm. you know, in this report. Mm -hmm. So that that element of marketing, I think, does not get pr probably thought about enough by by the people on the outside here. Well, on the inside, they really do. Yeah, they choose correct. their yes. words very carefully. Yes. They choose the titles of the indicators and the categories very, very carefully in sure. order to do exactly what you say, to sort of maximize their marketing impact and to try to get in, uh, you know, gain attention worldwide. 
Judith, what do you believe then with this with this growth of global performance indicators? Obviously, there are benefits, that, but there are probably also areas that that can be negative as well. And and I'd be get, interested to get your opinion on on where you think the the greatest influence in both of those areas may be. Well, to go back to the ease of doing business index, you know, you can find um, several accounts of countries that have been. It's been demonstrated that they just were concertedly gaming the system to try to move up in the rankings. Georgia uh, comes to mind. And so the extent to which countries can just figure out how to move up in, in, an, in a way that's actually rather empty when it comes to uh, actual uh, policies on the ground, that's, of course, is a negative consequence because it's just spending energy on stuff that's, that's meaningless. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the other thing, like if you take something like the ease of doing business index, there are winners and losers from choosing a regulatory or deregulatory framework uh, to implement. Many of these are uh, ideological contestations. So we may have a ranking that, you know, the most, what is, you know, the most prominent ranking in the world in some ways you could you could rank gdp right this is yeah. one way of measuring prosperity in the world and then you've got other indicators that come out and say well it's really about um, uh, people's well-being it's about happiness or it's about sustainable prosperity or whatever and so so there are ideological bents uh, or philosophies shall we say to each one of these and in the case of the bank deregulation um, could harm the environment, it could harm workers, you know, so there are winners and losers from each of these perspectives. And I would imagine that when you factor in all of these elements, Beth, you're talking about creating a, a, a level of power within the country, within the government that may not have been there a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. That's what uh, our research does seem to suggest. It's not that there wasn't that kind of power in the government. It's that could it could not as easily have been wielded in such a clearly programmatic way. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, to your question about the normative impact of some of these ratings and rankings, one of the things we found in the investor survey, which was pretty interesting, was that uh, – it, once you supply all the macroeconomic evidence to the investor to sort of get a sense of what they think about the site for investing, and then if you give a bad rating, but compare that to a group that got no information on the rating at all, yeah. it turns out they want to uh, invest less. So even though huh. the economic essentials are held constant and you add a very negative rating, that can take away what you otherwise um, the uh, investment enthusiasm, if you will, that you otherwise might have gotten in the absence of that information. That's pretty sobering, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, away from the fundamentals and towards kind of a ranking system that the bank has produced. Um, if, if, that has a, if that is kind of broadly the case, and more research really should be done on that question, um, then, uh, you know, the bank giveth and the bank taketh away. <laughs> yeah, right. We're joined here in studio by Beth Simmons of uh, the Wharton School and also by Judith Kelly of, the, of Duke University. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. When you talk about the investment side uh, of this again, Beth, with so many countries looking for that next great investment to be able to improve their infrastructure, to be able to prove you know, whatever the component might be, 
these are reports that are incredibly important to be able to take that next step I think that's in, right. in the process. I think that's right. And you know, there has been other research that looks at the effect of this ranking system on investment. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And they find a positive relationship. But most other studies, in fact, every other study that we've come across takes the ranking as truth of the business environment and then just says, so you see, business environment matters for investment. We problematize that relationship by saying, this may not be an accurate reflection of the mm. business environment. Let's control for other measurable things right. and see what the impact, the additional impact of simply changing this ranking could have on the willingness to invest. So we actually don't want to assume that this is the business environment. Right. It is a ranking system. Unit, do you think that then when these types of reports are, are coming forward, that the people that are consuming this information, there's an element of... of of, t of having a grain of salt with this, you know, to understand that there is information out there, but that, as just as Beth alluded, there may be other factors at play that are that are not included here. I, I think, unfortunately, I think that the common consumer does not pay attention to that. They don't think about the methodology at all. And while the bureaucrat may be very keenly tuned into this, they may not have the luxury of of saying that because if the common understanding is that the country is falling behind, then the perceptions are often what really matters and what policymakers need to respond to. You know, but but I, I, I want to not lose the positive aspects of this whole phenomenon, you know, we are we're living in a world that is very, um, it's very interrelated. It's we're facing a lot of big global problems, and we've come to a point where we probably realize that, you know, using military force or even economic sanctions and such is just not always getting us a lot of traction. Right. Now, the world isn't going to be saved by these kinds of ratings and rankings, but we have seen ratings and rankings that have been able to do really positive things on the margins, like the A Transparency Index that has gotten countries, uh, development agencies, to be public about their uh, aid budgets, right? right? Or we talked about Freedom House before, you know, Reports or that, that monitor, for example, um, media freedom in different countries, how many journalists are getting killed, you know, these kinds of things that, while they're not going to save the world, sort of dollar for dollar, pound for pound, yeah. they're not very expensive to implement, and they get traction in a way that, you know, force might not be able to do. Judith, uh, you, thank you very much for your time and, and greatly appreciate your insight on this. Yeah, well, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Beth. Great meeting you. Thank you Thank for you, coming Dan. in. Thank you. Beth Simmons from here at the Wharton School, Judith Kelly at uh, Duke University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.